All right, at this time, the children can head out to Children's Church. They were already headed before I said it. That's all right. All right, well, last week, we started talking about the divine power of God. That it is this divine power that is inside of us that gives us the ability to, for life and righteousness. Everything we need, it's given to us. So we asked, what is power? And that's what we were talking about this month. What is power? What is God's divine power? How do you define it? What does it look like? Because it really is almost impossible to, to really fully grasp what we're trying. Last week, we talked about that power, first and foremost, always comes from authority. Real, true power comes from authority. The right to do something. When God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light, yes, light came. And yes, that was an exertion of power, but light came into being because he had the authority, first and foremost, to speak it, to demand it. And he spoke into that darkness with authority. Now, Jesus, whenever, uh, after his resurrection, he looks at his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I send you out as I was sent out. And so he hands us his authority to exercise on his behalf. It is never our authority. It is his. And we talked about how we have authority to approach God, to actually come into the throne room of God. Right now, we are in the throne room throne room of God. We have authority over the enemy. We have the authority to forgive, as Christ did, to forgive the sins of others. We have the authority to speak, to say what God has spoken with the assurance that it is true and will come to pass. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, because this is the passage that we are using uh, uh, this month that, about the divine power. It says this, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire this divine power has given us everything that we need it is inside of us so that we can attain we can reach to the divine nature of God himself So last week we talked about authority that comes first and foremost. But the second thing, well, power is exercised by authority, but it is defined. Its boundaries are set by capacity. And we're going to be talking about capacity this morning. What does capacity have to do power. I went through a couple of weeks ago when I was telling Jenny what we were going through, and I was laying out the four lessons for her that we were going to be going through. She, her mind got stuck on this one, and she just looked at you, mm, I don't like that. 
not like? I don't like that word. Pass it. What does that, what does that have to do with anything? Well, that's this sermon. That's what we're here to do. Let's consider some examples of capacity. D batteries are more powerful than double A's. Not because of the letter, but because of their capacity. The larger a container, the more it holds. The larger its capacity. 10-gauge wire carries more power than 14-gauge. I didn't learn that online. I learned that by touching them. 10 hertz. 14 is is kind of fun. I don't know why the higher the number, the less dangerous it is. I guess electricians just wanted to die. But 10 carries more power than 14 because it has greater capacity. A 220 outlet is more powerful than a 110 because that outlet has greater capacity. Trucks with greater horsepower are more powerful because they have greater, guess what it is? Capacity. And muscle, no, okay, I almost pointed to myself. Let's not do that. Um, look, at the, look at the big muscular horse up there. Muscle mass. Okay? The strength that is in someone's arm is defined by the muscle mass. It is defined by the connective tissue, its strength, and by the leverage that the arm uh, that happens in the elbow and in the shoulders. All those things come together and create greater capacity for strength. So capacity defines the limits. It defines the boundaries of power. Something with less capacity is less powerful. Something with more capacity is more powerful. So as I was sitting, sharing this with Jenny, William comes in and tells me capacity is just how much something will hold. That's what he says. And I said, no, that isn't true. And he said, no, you're wrong. So everyone else can tune out for just a second. This is for William. Webster's Dictionary defines capacity as the maximum something can hold and that's what he was saying and that's what most of us probably think capacity has to do with. Capacity is also the amount something can produce a field. Just ask a farmer. He knows the capacity of his acreage. He knows how much produce he can get out of an acre of land. It's a certain amount. Capacity is also competence. Not just the ability to do it, but to actually get it done. Okay? Not just to start it, but to finish it. And capacity can mean a special role. So, I put this up here because I want you, as we are going along, as we are talking about capacity, 
and we talk about scripturally and spiritually what capacity is, I want you to have in mind all of those aspects of capacity. Not just what we can hold, but what we are capable of producing, what we are competent at, and what our special and unique role is outside of Christ or in Christ. So let's get going as we get started on this this morning. Let's go to, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. This will begin our concept of capacity. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, and hunger, abundance, and need. His answer, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, for most of us, when we honestly, from a human mindset, when we think about what is our capacity, what kind of impact, what kind of influence, what, what kind of ministry can we do in this world, most of it is usually defined by our circumstances. We will say, I would like to give more, but I don't have enough to give. I want to serve more, but I don't have time to serve. We always put it within a circumstance, but Paul here is saying, is saying that the capacity that God has supplied to each one of us, to you and to me. It is not based on circumstance. It is based on the supply. How much you have, how much you do not have of energy, resources, finances, all of that stuff, none of it is defined by the circumstances we are in. Everything that we are called to do can be done because of God who gives us the strength to see it through. He has increased our capacity. He has made us more than we ever could be on our own. His spirit is referred to as a wind. I was trying to find an image for the, for the bulletin, and Will was with me. I think it was Will. was with me at a time, and, or maybe it was Kate. I don't remember, but said that a good example would be a balloon, that we're just this little thing until God blows his spirit into us and expands us and makes us more than we were before. No, you and I, God has placed in us capacity for things that we could not imagine. Amazing, incredible things. Not just in a few of us, in all of us, just simply by his presence. I want to remind you, as I reminded you last week, when we exercise authority, when I exercise authority, I don't do so as Nathan. I don't get to, in my will, decide I want something and declare it in the name of Jesus. I only speak when I am by the authority that God has given me to speak. 
And so it is here also. The capacity that we have, we have this, this existence and this life that is where, where we are caught in this middle. We were dead spiritually. We were alive physically. And so all we knew was how to live out of the flesh. We only knew how to live out of our own authority, so we had to exert control over other people. We only were able to live out of our capacity, and so we would get exhausted and tired and worn out and discouraged and depressed. But when we are made alive by the Spirit of God, we become a new creature. And we are to crucify that old one. We no longer exercise. I don't have to exercise control over anybody because the authority has already been given to me. You only exercise control when you don't have authority. And we are called now to live according to the capacity of God and not our old flesh. And that's why I want us to talk about what does that even mean. You and I, we are supposed to look like Jesus. Remember last week, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I am sending you just as I was sent. That's what he's telling us. I was sent by the Father, now you are sent by me because I have the authority to send you. So just as Jesus was with the Father, so we should be with him. Luke five seventeen. I want you to look at this. On one of those days... As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, normally we walk walk through this, you would be reading through and you would just completely glance over this. You wouldn't even register, but I want you to stop and consider what that is saying. Why was Jesus able to heal? Was it because he was the Son of God? No. Was it because he was, he was uh, uh, an amazing teacher? No. Was it because he was the Messiah? No. Why was he able to heal? Because the power of God was upon him. We're told in Hebrews that when Jesus came to this earth, he made himself lower than the angels. He emptied himself of everything it meant to be God. When he exercised his authority, it wasn't his authority, it was God's authority. And when he does amazing things, it's not because in the flesh this, this person called Jesus had these abilities that you and I don't have. It is because the, the Holy Spirit was in him. The power of God was in him. And he healed by the capacity of God inside of him. Just as Jesus was sent with the Father's authority and the Father's capacity and did amazing things, so now we are sent in the authority of Jesus. And we should have the same attitude. We have the capacity to do things that were not possible before. Because his power is in us. And Jesus couldn't say it more clearly than the, the passage, right? That's over there, part of the passage. John 15, 5. So he's saying this to you. He's saying this to you right now. Listen, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So 
So just as Christ is rooted in the ground and gathers the supply and the life from the Father, so we who are connected into him, he pushes that life, that authority, and the capacity that he carries into us to produce fruit. If you separate us from the vine, we wither and we die. We can do nothing. We produce nothing. We mean nothing. But abiding in him and he in us, is his life, authority, and capacity that we exercise. So when we are connected to the vine, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us increase. And the first thing that it increases is this, is our capacity for ministry. Your Abilities have been increased. What you were able to do before you came to Christ is nothing compared to what you can do now. I don't know if you've experienced that, but it is absolutely true. The amount that we are able to produce has been increased and our competency to do things we could not do before has come to pass. He has placed within us not only a call to do new and amazing things by the power of the Spirit, but He has made us competent to do so. He has increased our capacity for ministry. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 and verse 11, He says this, Now, there are a variety of gifts the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he Paul is talking about uniqueness and unity. As we see in God, things that often seem opposite are the same thing. Unity is only found in the diversity in the church. The Spirit has been placed in you. You have absolutely, 100%, I say it with absolute confidence, based on the Scripture and the authority that it has to speak truth to us. You have been empowered from on high supernaturally to do, to perform and to complete the task that God has called you to do that you were not capable of doing until you came to Christ and your gifting is unique it's different than mine it's different than the person sitting next to you the spirit looked at you individually and decided that you were uniquely, uniquely appointed to certain tasks, and you have been gifted to accomplish them. Now, I want you to understand, I say supernatural. Let me, I want to qualify that lest you take one of two opinions. One, when I say supernatural, I mean that you are equipped with something you were not equipped before. 
You were not born with this talent. It doesn't mean supernatural like we think of it, although it doesn't have to not mean that. It doesn't mean miracles necessarily, but it is miraculous. Maybe you have been empowered to serve people in a way that you were not capable of before. Maybe you are empowered with a compassion and a grace that you did not have before. Maybe there is a love that is burning within you. Maybe there is a word that is within you. It is all supernatural because God has empowered it in you by His Spirit. You did not come by it naturally. It is supernatural. So it doesn't have to be what we think of when we say supernatural, but the other side is it can be. And I don't want any of us to fall into the trap of thinking it's all got to be this this mystical weirdness or to fall into the category where we think that that somehow is not possible. Because what Paul says is that the capacity that God has placed within us allows us to do all things. Not some things. It's not in there. He has equipped his church to do all things. He has apportioned you a place in that. The second thing that has been increased. And I don't know. This is what I want. I I want this. I want it for myself. I want it for my wife. I want this for my family. I want this for this church. He has increased our capacity for passion. And I'm not talking about Fabio on the cover kind of passion. Although if you're married, I'm good for that too. He wants to increase our capacity for passion, energy, excitement, our desire, and our hunger. When we read that verse back up there in 2 Peter, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we may become partakers of the divine nature. If God has promised to give you access to everything, why would there ever be a moment when you've had enough? That hunger and that desire should be ever increasing. That's why Jesus uses the words like, a man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You, you, in the Beatitudes, right? It is those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should have an insatiable drive. I want you to understand this. There is. You and I are supposed to be content. That's kind of what Paul said in that passage we read, right? I, I, am, I, am, I am good. I've learned how to be satisfied in all things. Whether, whether I have a lot or I don't have anything, I, I can be content. He's talking about contentment there. But there is one area in your life that you never, ever should be content with, and that is your relationship with God. I want it all. You can hear it in the words of Paul. I want to know Christ. Power. I want to know him. That's not, I'd like to read about him. That'd be interesting. It's not I want to read a God bio. This is I want want to consume God. I want to be consumed 
my God. I want to cease to exist, and I want him to exist in me. I want him to increase as I decrease. I want there to be no me and only he. Desire. It is okay to desire more in Christ than where you are today. And by God, I say this morning, it is necessary for you to desire more than you have right now. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says this, Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue. We don't use this word a lot unless it's an officer chasing a criminal. We'll say they are in hot pursuit. It's really one of the only times we talk about pursuing But pursuit means that you leave everything behind and you put everything you have into attaining what it is that you are trying to grab. And we want our police officers to do that. They don't half-heartedly go after criminals. They risk it all. Pursue love. That's a passionate statement earnestly desire earnestly with everything in you you've got to want this do you I'm asking seriously do you want more of God this morning do you want to experience his presence in a greater capacity today It's offered. So Jesus uses words to tell us that the Father has increased our capacity for passion. He says, seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. He's telling us to be motivated and to go after it. It's been that way from the beginning. In the Old Testament, God said, you will find me when you seek me there's a qualification with all your heart I'm going to lay this out for some of you this morning I don't know who it is but I know I'm supposed to say this to someone if you are uncertain about your relationship with God, if you are uncertain about God, if you are uncertain of anything that has to do with the Christian faith it is not the failing of Jesus Christ has promised if you seek him if you pursue him you will find him in 1 Corinthians 14 12 Paul says this about our passion he says so with yourselves since you are eager eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church passion is infectious it is it it passes I 
any of us, we've all experienced this at times, we've walked up to a group of people, and as we walk up, they start laughing. We didn't hear a word. And what do we end up doing? <laughs> what were we talking about? Why? Why did we laugh? It's infectious. I've watched some really stupid comedy but been sitting next to someone who was laughing their heads off, and I end up laughing because of their laughter. Not because the guy's funny, but because these people are so tickled. It's infectious. The passion of God is infectious. And when his people are impassioned about his presence and they love him, it moves from us to others. It can't help but do so. That's why God says, he says, I'm going to fill you up to overflowing. And this is probably one of the only times I'm going to use alcohol as a reference. But you have a picture in my mind of the champagne glasses that are assembled in a perfect square in a grid. And they are built up on top of each other to the point where they come to a single cup at the very top. We've all seen it. You can picture it in your mind. The mater d' pops the cork. It begins to fill that top cup. And it starts to overflow does not stop he knows what he is doing as it overflows on that cup it flows down but it doesn't end up on the table below it doesn't end up not any of it wasted what begins to happen the four below it begin to fill and as he pours into the top cup the other four receive its overflow once those four are filled and they begin to overflow, what happens? The 16 below them begin to fill and to overflow. Minus the alcohol, that's God's plan for your life. It's what he wants. He wants to dump in you and let it just flow into the lives of everyone else. But you, we, We've got to be filled with it. We've got to have that passion just so consume us. Next thing, he's increased your capacity for wonder. You ever notice that wonder isn't a word that we necessarily use a lot, but God says it to Moses. He says, I'm going to send you to Egypt, and you're going to do my two, one through four. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And immediately after that passage, they step outside of that house, and they begin to speak in these other tongues, these foreign languages and languages they did not know. They begin to speak it, and people from all of the nations who were gathered together in Jerusalem, they wonder in amazement at what they are hearing. God works in someone's life is amazing. I have been party and witnessed I'm actual miracles. I'm just going to let
laid out. Many of you can say the same thing. You have seen things. It, you, you felt it. You saw it. You knew it. It's unavoidable. You walk away going, whoa, that was incredible. But it isn't just that. Some of the most giddy times in my life, and, and I get giddy sometimes, is when something that someone else would call a coincidence is so exactly perfect, you just knew God did it. I was looking up a scripture this week. This week, this is so silly. You're going to be like, preacher, what are you talking about? No, I'm dead serious, man. I got so giddy in my office. I was so excited. I told my kids, and they're like, what? Well, you're an idiot. But I was going through, and I found, I found a, 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 a passage. It was something nine, nine, uh, one. Doesn't matter. Well, when I typed it in, and I went, because I went to type it in, because I do it all on, on, online and stuff. I typed it in, I typed it in the other way, one nine. You know what happened? The accidental verse is the one that I used in my sermon. It was so perfect that I hadn't found it. It was exactly what I was trying to say. And I went to the one that it was actually sending me to, and it had nothing to do with what I said. And I said, I go, God, that was so cool. Who does that? Only you do things like that. And I, I was just amazed because he, I, I, I did something stupid, and God does something awesome with that. That's amazing. Wonder is all around us. The work of God is amazing. God uses your transformation, your love, your compassion, your service. hear this often enough. You are amazing. You were created to be amazing. Not perfect. If we were perfect, his, his power wouldn't be seen in us. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to that power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why did I read that? Because when I say you are wonderful and you are amazing and God wants to use you to amaze people around you. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be like, you are fantastic. Sometimes people are going to look at you and go, Bleh. 
I don't know what my mom's problem is, but she loves looking at pimple popping videos on YouTube. I'll know. We sat there at Christmas watching things, watching bot flies coming out of skin and stuff. Now, it's amazing. Uh, right? You're sitting there going, whoa, that is not what I'm used to seeing. Uh, um, why are we watching this? So there are people who will take the amazing things that God is doing and they will actually find them distasteful. Be amazing anyway. But what Paul there says in Ephesians is the Father. This is wants to do more in you than you can even comprehend. More than you can even perceive. The only thing that gets in the way is our lack of faith. We don't I want you to see things happening that you couldn't have put together, that you just get to marvel at the work of God. That you live a life in such a way that those around you just marvel at the work of God. The next capacity is He has increased our capacity for generosity. Our capacity for generosity. Now, you may be sitting here and uh, uh, you're probably thinking one of two things. One is... I don't see what generosity and capacity, I, I, don't, I don't see the connection there. What are you talking about? Why, how, how is generosity connected to power? That doesn't, it, it, right? It seems kind of, kind of like I've got to go off on a couple of rabbit trails to connect those. Preacher, are you asking for money? No. Or you might be sitting there going, okay, I can buy that, but God has not increased that capacity in me. One of those is probably your two, one of, you, one of those is, your reaction. But I want to read you what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I want you to understand it within the concept of capacity and power. So in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 to 11, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God has increased the capacity of your generosity. He is not only supplying seed, He is multiplying that seed in you for the purpose of reaping a greater harvest in righteousness. He has equipped you to give so that He can enrich you even more. Now, when I talk about giving, when I talk about generosity, I'm talking about everything, every good gift that God has given us. 
the food that we have, the clothing that we have, the homes that we have, the energy that we have, the jobs that we have, the vehicles that we have, the houses we have, the resources we have, everything that God has supplied is an enrichment that he has given us for the purpose of being generous. We are a hose. Weird thing to say. We are a hose connected to the spigot. God has turned it fully on. He has fully supplied us. The water has come rushing in. The hose begins to stretch out and fill. Every part of that hose is completely filled with the power of that water. But at the end of that hose is a plug. Now that hose is completely filled. It is filled by the source. But the sad thing is, as long as that plug is in it, the water that is currently in it is all the water it will ever know. Pull the plug out of the end. All of that water that was sitting in that hose within seconds has completely left the hose. But the hose is not empty. It is still filled. And with every bit of water that leaves the other end, it receives that and more on the other. It never stops being full. It is never emptied unless it disconnects from the source. The good things in your life. If you want to know great things, people often say, they'll sit there and say, I want great wealth. There's only one way to have great wealth, and that is to give what you have away in order to receive more. God has promised. He does not, having great wealth does not mean possessing it. A generous person who gives and shares and meets the needs of others might not retain that wealth, but it was theirs. They can end their life saying that they were a person of great wealth, but they were not a stingy or greedy person. Great wealth is not defined by how much you hold on to. how much you allow to flow through you. Uncork your life. We don't do it. We plug it up because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we let it go, the hose is going to empty out and we're not going to have anything left. I can't give up of my energy. I've, only, I've got just enough to be able to manage my family and my job. So we plug it up because that's all the energy we got. No, no, you don't. That's all you have in the flesh. That is not all you have in the spirit. Let it go. Last thing. Last thing. And controversial. Is a compassion. 
capacity for sinlessness. No one likes hearing that. I, 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 I'm telling you, this is probably, this is, of all the things that I say, I find that this one is more controversial to people. I don't, I, and, and, and it blows my mind. I mean, I've had elders, I, and I can't not teach it because I, I absolutely am completely convinced. If you have been set free from sin, that means that you now have the capacity to no longer sin. If you are no longer under its power. I'm not saying that we do not fall back into the flesh and we make mistakes. What I'm saying is if we are able to live fully in the spirit, we will not sin again. You will not. If you follow him, you will not sin again. The key is sticking with him. Let me show you. Let me read this. Let's put this up there. Jude, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. He doesn't just say to, uh, to, to, our, uh, uh, to him who is able to present us pure, because he does that through the blood of Jesus. He doesn't just say that, does he? He says to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. will make mistakes. I get it. But we we should really, really strive for that. I guess that's my thing. He's made it possible. Let's go for it. And every time we mess up, let's not be satisfied with that. Let's get back up and go for it again. Let's work towards that. Let's attain that. Not on our energy, because we can't do it on our energy. See, this goes back to the thing. I feel like I'm preaching two sermons at the same time. One is talking about the power, and the other is the fact that, that it is God's authority. It is God's capacity in us. But, of course, we have our authority and our capacity. And if we live in this, we're going to fail. But if we live in his, then we're going to succeed. If you live in his capacity, you can sin today. I'm betting. No, I'm not. But I, I'm guessing, assuming that the majority of us in the past five minutes have not sinned. I don't think most of us have done something that has offended the Father. Can you go the next five minutes without it? Is that possible? Can you go the next 15 minutes without sin? Most people will say, yeah. You realize life is just a stacking of 15 minutes on top of each other. If I can do one 15 minute, why can't I do two? Where's the line? Where's the line that says, oh, God's power has reached its limit. Now you must sin. You went five minutes by the power of God without doing it. You go 15 minutes by the power of God without doing it. Where does God's power end? Where does his capacity does it? Man, that is freedom over sin. That is freedom. That is mastery. Not just being free from the consequences, actually being free from the absolute power. If you live by the Spirit. We are told that the man who lives according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, does not sin. He doesn't. That's the key. 
I can't even fathom God's plan for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't, I don't want to hear I'm, t- I'm, I'm too young to do it because I've got a whole Bible full of people who were younger than teenagers who were doing amazing things by the power of God. And I don't want to hear I'm too old to do it because I'm pretty sure the women in here will tell you if Sarah can bear a child in her 80s or 90s, whichever it is, you can handle whatever God gives you. is coming and he's asking some of you to raise your hands so that he can part a sea. God wants to increase that in you this morning if we can pray with you over anything. If you, are, if you need to uncork that hose, if you need to remove that block that is not allowing the Spirit to move through you the way that you desperately, internally want to. Maybe you haven't felt it in the past. You have not felt that move. And so, and so you have walked away. You have slid away. You find yourself where you don't want to be, but the inner child inside of you is crying out for God. This morning, you can remove that plug, that block. You can allow Him to move and let the power of God begin to course through you again. 